0: As a leader in advanced HVAC technologies, Mitsubishi Electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency, comfort, and wellness, with a focus on personal comfort and prosperous communities. Mitsubishi offers a variety of indoor options, including high wall floor mount, duct handlers, and extremely popular one-way ceiling cassette. Climate systems are great for a single room or the entire home, providing 100% capacity to minus five degrees. A full range of control options, including Wi-Fi, touchscreen, and thermostats, and simple remotes are available to meet every customer's needs. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. For more information, go to MitsubishiComfort.com. Good morning. Mark Madison here on Books and People. Today hey, I'm super excited to have my friend Jason Medbury on the line. Jason, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Mark. How are you doing? Yeah, good as gold, right as rain, and cool as a cucumber. Excellent. And working on Fit as a Fiddle. Give me another couple of weeks on that one. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm getting so skinny it hurts to sit down. You know, so it's one of those deals. All right, stop showing off. <laughs> <laughs> I am racking my brain trying to remember how we met. Um, we
1: met, uh, you reached out to me because I was doing some work for Judy Carter, author of the New Comedy Bible and The Message of You, and I've been doing work with her for almost about 10 years now. And I, don't, I forget if you saw something or heard me on her podcast or something along those lines, but you reached out to me. Talking about, you know, needing some work done for for your stuff. And uh that's kind of how it all started.
0: Yeah. And you know, I'd read a couple of her books and I watched her videos. I just think she's hilarious and super talented. And I think that's what prompted me to reach out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she's how fantastic. Did, how did you and her meet? Uh funny enough, through a Craigslist post. Uh so
1: years ago when I first started working with her, I had what I would call the worst week of my entire life. Uh, over the course of one week. So it basically went like this. On Sunday, my girlfriend left me. On Monday, my truck died. On Tuesday, my computer died. On Wednesday, my phone died. And on Thursday, I lost my largest client. And it went literally in that order, boom, 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 to where, and at the time, I was pretty much exclusively working remotely. So it was like, well, my ability to get around is gone. My ability to actually work and make money is gone. My ability to communicate with anyone is gone. And my largest form of income is gone. And the person who I would commiserate with it the most is also gone. So I was kind of in emergency mode looking for more work, more clients. And I saw her post and I looked her up. And it's funny because I have a lot of friends who are actors and comedians and they had heard of her. They had read her book, uh, The New Comedy Bible. And they were like, hey, you should you should work for her because she's, you know, she's heavy into comedy and all this stuff. And she's kind of a known thing. So I reached out and uh, we started working after that.
0: You put music to that story and you got a hit country western song. <laughs> doesn't it? Doesn't it sound that way? Because I did lose that, in a truck. That so. sounds <laughs> fake. That yeah. sounds made up. Like that can't. All those things can't happen in that order that fast.
1: Oh, yeah. And they sure did. In fact, you know, I was at my I was getting ready to leave for a week and a half going across country for a shoot. And all of that happened the week prior. And I'm like literally at my mother's house, practically in tears, trying to figure out how I'm going to make all of this stuff happen. Luckily, it all worked out and I can look back on
0: it and laugh. But uh, but now (laughs) but yeah, it was it was pretty insane. Well, I think of Warren Zevon song, Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me. Well, I laid my head on the railroad track waiting for the double E, but that train don't run by here no more. Poor, poor, pitiful me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thankfully, I didn't live next to any train tracks, because that could have possibly been the end of my story. But <laughs>
0: Yikes. Well, I'm so glad you survived, let me tell you, because I've sure had fun working with you. So how do you describe what it is you do? Because you do so many things for me, and and... So I'm at a loss to describe what you do. How do you tell people what you do?
1: Essentially, I'm a, you know, I I have a production company here in Southern California and we do production work, whether that's uh, video, web, branding, all that kind of stuff for all sorts of different types of businesses, small, medium, large businesses. Our bread and butter is uh, video production. That's kind of what I do mostly. Uh, but we have skills in all different types of marketing collateral. Essentially, if you use it to 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 sell or train or build or whatever, we make it. So
0: that's kind of how I describe it to folks. Interesting. Now, how uh, how did you get started doing that? But let me back up. Where did you grow up? In California? Uh, yes.
1: I grew up in San Bernardino, California. Um, okay. and uh after that uh went to school at UCLA. Uh studied UCLA there. Uh, when I went to UCLA after my second year, that's when I moved to Los Angeles, and I've lived either in or near Los Angeles ever since. So okay.
0: you're in Glendale now, right?
1: I'm in Glendale right
0: now, yeah. Yeah. And so a California kid, a UCLA Bruin in the in the heart of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. right? So (laughs) how did, how did you get started? How did you make the segue? Did you apprentice for somebody? I mean, how did it, how did it unfold? So when I went to college, they had what was called the
1: arts floor. I I went to, I went to study theater there. Uh, I was a, I was a young actor. I wanted to be a director. That was what I wanted to do. And since I had the most experience in theater and UCLA was nice enough to accept me, (laughs) I went there and I studied theater there. And on our floor, we had, uh, they had what was called the arts floor. They kind of push all the arts kids onto the similar floor because they know how hard we are to tolerate with all the other kids. So, uh,
0: (laughs) Don't play well with others.
1: Yeah, exactly. They're like, yeah, fourth floor, Sproul Hall, that's designated to you guys. Everyone else can, you know, continue to live their lives. Uh, But as I was there, I met uh, who is now my business partner who lived on the floor, uh, Sean Heckman. I went in after college and I was just working random jobs, but I was mostly working in the creative field as a stunt person. So I was a stunt man for a few years, you know, picking up odds and ends. I did not know that. Yep. Yep. I was, I was a stunt man for, for a while. And, uh, and it's a punishing, it's a punishing job and not only in the acquisition of work, but also in the execution of work. So that went on for a while. And meanwhile, my buddy, Sean had started his production company, which at the time was just media barons. And he was working. Uh, he started it by, he developed one of the first, uh, high definition TV shows that was ever on TV when oh, HD wow. first started, uh, first started going. So he had kind of started his business and whatever. And he was reaching out to me occasionally for like crew work because he knew I had worked on sets, you know, a bunch of times. So I would come and work crew for him. And uh, we just got along so well that I just started doing more and more and more and more work. And then about 10 years ago, he was like, well, let's make this official. And we incorporated the business and I became a, a partner.
0: Hmm. Who were your mentors coming up, uh, both at UCLA and just
1: uh, all you- around? You know what my UCLA experience was not that strong. I would I had two I would say I had two really really good mentors. One was uh, an instructor, a uh, coach named Ed Monahan who was a martial arts instructor who came to the school and taught us uh, stunt choreography and stunt work. And I was so impressed by him and and the stuff that he did and the work that he was doing that that is what inspired me to go into the stunt work. And then as sort of a writer director, there was another instructor there who who passed away a few years ago named Gary Gardner. And he was very, very influential on my pursuit in the entertainment industry, my pursuit as a creative besides just being an actor, uh, because just, you know, he was just a, a fantastic instructor and a fantastic teacher and, and inspiration to me. And he was one of the few professors I had who had actually worked in the industry we had had a lot of you know professors who had never actually worked on a movie before who had never actually been in a Broadway show or had produced or worked on a Broadway show who had never actually made their living as uh, someone in the entertainment or arts and pure academia one of the yeah pure yeah. academia exactly and he was one of the few who had who had who had made a living you know as a writer and a director and an actor uh, before becoming a professor at the school.
0: Well, you know, all of my mentors, uh, one simple criterion, they've done what I want to do and been where I want to go. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, that's what I look for in a mentor is somebody who's actually done what it is I want to do. Uh, <laughs> when you said stuntman, I first, my first thought was Burt Reynolds was a stuntman. Yeah. That's how he got started.
1: Oh, Uh, my favorite part about being a stuntman was not being a stuntman. It was sitting with all the older stuntmen and hearing all of their stories, you know, uh, because with stunt guys, you know, you work for one or two minutes and then you wait for three hours and then you work for one or two minutes. Like if you if you ever want to know where the stuntmen are uh, on a movie set, just look for all the mats and the guys who are constantly stretching. The guys who are just constantly, they they look like they live in a gym and they're just constantly stretching because they're kind of trying to keep their muscles warm because right. they're about to do a big physical thing, but they're going to be waiting for hours in between each time they do it. So they're always stretching. They're always moving around. They're always doing stuff because if they walk in cold, man, you know, the most painful thing, you know, I've been in a ton of accidents as a stunt person and the worst most painful ones is pulling a muscle <laughs> you know? right yeah i've been dragged behind cars trampled by people lit on fire no injury is worse than not staying warm and i mean literally just craning your neck and <laughs>
0: next thing you know you're on your knees when you pull a hamstring for the first time that's when you realize i need to stretch oh absolutely yeah it's so painful mm mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a stunt, man. I still have a hard time just because I'm thinking about So did you do TVs, movies, what? Yeah. Also, I'm in a bunch of uh,
1: horrible sci-fi films. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but usually my job was to get killed by good-looking people. That was basically yes. how it worked. So, yes. and it was funny because as my career kind of, you know, came to an end in that field, I was starting to realize that, you know, I was too big for the small guys, too small for the big guys. I was in this sort of mid-range area and i just i was having more fun and obviously making more money working behind the camera so that ultimately led to the transition
0: right and a lot of people don't realize that most people in hollywood are just not that tall it's <laughs> true the, i mean T- tom cruise is like 5 yeah. 8 stallone's like five ten, maybe mm. you know and yeah. all the actresses are like 5 2 like mm. reese witherspoon 5 95 pounds yeah. you know
1: I played a lot of monsters, putting big costumes and armor and rubber suits and things like that, because, you know, I was the creature that was chasing the attractive woman (laughs) running through the
0: forest kind of deal. Hey, mom, I made it in the movies.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I have a whole clip sending them to my parents of me getting killed by like really, really attractive people.
0: Oh, that's so funny. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good stuff, man. What, What books had an impact on you? Oh, so many.
1: Uh, I think the two that jumped to mind that I think, I think have had the most effect would be Quiet. It's a study on introverts and things like that. And okay. uh, it was very interesting about how I-, I never considered myself an introvert. I just considered myself someone who doesn't draw a lot of energy from socialization. But reading that book, it kind of it, it kind of explained myself to me and it mm-hmm. gave me ways to understand my own thinking because i had never really had a lot of people in my life who were very much like me so so that book was very influential uh the other one was i want to say is it the power of habit is that the name of the book um i forget like charles duhig that might very well be it but uh he was the one who he had a very clear breakdown of like how to build high-performing habits and atomic habits well that that's that's the newer one and i love that book as well and i actually read that after you you recommended it and that's a fantastic book uh but i I believe the power of habit was came before that
0: yeah charles duhigg yeah yeah. that was a terrific book he was a new york times uh writer and i forget how i found that probably 10 years ago but that was one of those we just went huh
1: yeah yeah it really it kind of changed how i work and uh and that change, I think I read that when I was in my early thirties. And by my mid thirties, it had completely altered the trajectory of my company.
0: When I listen to you speak, introvert doesn't come to mind. It doesn't, okay? does it? <laughs> no, not at all. I think more like situational extrovert for you. Mm. Right? So introvert, okay, sure, I get that. But when it's time for you to be on, you're outgoing, you're confident, you're smart, right? Mm. So I, I don't get that sense. You know what I mean?
1: I, I, I've i never heard that phrase situational extrovert. That's actually a really good description because yes, I can, as you say, turn it on. Uh, you know, right. a lot of that has to do with like my theater training and my performing arts training of being able to do it. Uh, but what I started to notice over time was that whenever I have to do big social based things, I'm up and you know, cause I've spoken in front of audiences and I've, you know, consulted and coached people and worked with uh, various things and, 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 uh, and in the entertainment industry, you're constantly having to pitch yourself to, to everyone you meet, right. you know, uh, but it drains me. It drains me in ways that, that other things don't. And I actually thrive kind of in the silo when I'm just sort of working alone, putting myself into a flow state, that sort of thing. That's right. when I derive my energy. <laughs> we were looking back, we were doing some financial work for our company. We were looking back in 2021 and <laughs> we had discovered because uh, we just recently purchased a new uh, company vehicle, that in August of like 21, I had driven a grand total of eight miles for the course of the month, and then I was like, okay, I have to know what those eight miles are. It was like one trip to Costco and back.
0: <laughs> a real road warrior. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: and uh, you know, I st- I travel a lot for work and that kind of stuff, but like when I'm at home, it's just I'm just at home. I'm just sort of doing my thing, and I and the most successful things I've ever done have generally been derived by many 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 hours in solitude
0: i the only driving i do is to the airport yeah (laughs) you know seriously my wife says how many miles did you use last last year for taxes i said you know i i don't know 70 yeah (laughs) i I don't know give me a number so Yeah. yeah it's not very much and yeah i i get it i totally get it the word ambivert I stumbled across in the Wall Street Journal one day, and that's the situational extrovert. Mm. It's the one in the middle, you know, okay. in between introvert and extrovert.
1: I like that phrase. I'll start using that
0: going forward. Yeah. A situational yeah, it's extrovert. Yeah. yeah. So, who's your ideal client?
1: Who is my ideal client? Well, I mean, clients who, uh, okay. clients who need, well, <laughs> I would say client clients who need results are generally my my ideal client. Clients who who understand that. You know, the, the type of work that we do is a, is just one piece of the puzzle uh, for, for businesses. You know, we do a ton of work in video production, and it always surprises me how many people just immediately think advertising and nothing else when it comes to video or just pure marketing collateral when in reality, video, especially in the larger companies that I've helped is a is a massive component not only for external business you know for getting clients and making sales and establishing credibility but also for their internal workings for training and maintaining quality and and, and all sorts of other things they use that they use video in all sorts of aspects of their business so generally my favorite client are the people who are open-minded to saying, hey, you know, how else can we use this to make our business better? How can we, you know, not just generate more sales or more leads, but how can we also, you know, help in employee retention or an employee training or employee motivation or, you right. know,
0: there's so many different ways you can use it. It's funny, you know, lately I've been having this conversation when I speak because the number one issue in this country is companies are having a difficult time finding and attracting and retaining good people. Mm. But the, the finding is the, is the hard part right now. Yeah. And, and I have I, lately I've been saying, let's, let's take a look at the people that you do have. Mm. What are you doing to keep the people you have? Oh yeah. That's huge. That right? is that is, that is if, massive. Yeah. If you're, if your churn is so high that you're constantly hiring, 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 like in retail uh, what are you doing to keep the people you have? Because Every single employee is asking three questions. Is it safe here? Do I belong? In other words, is there a sense of family? And do I have a future? Mm -hmm. And if there's any hesitation to the answer to those three questions, even on a subconscious basis, they don't leave for a dollar more an hour across the street. They They leave because they're not appreciated. They don't feel like they belong and there's no future.
1: It's funny because I I work with such a diverse group of companies and uh, I have like in my coaching in, in the people who I work with in consulting or coaching or uh, that sort of thing who are almost entirely remote and their entire staffs are entirely remote. They kind of have a different issue than people who have brick and mortar businesses. Right. Definitely the retention is an issue, but the other aspect is The new sort of crop of workers, especially the most, uh, I wouldn't say passionate, but the most dedicated in the sense are people who care a lot more about freedom than they do about culture, right? You know, they're willing to work to take less money if it means they don't have to come into an office. They're willing to do jobs or work at weird, strange hours if it means they, they don't have to like be a part of some symbiotic group. And, right. uh, and I've noticed that recently with a lot of my clients who are like, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to bring on some more people, but they have these very regimented work schedules, very regimented, uh, ways of doing business and all the people who they want are just like, no, I'll take the freedom.
0: Yes. And for two reasons hmm. I'm, uh, I'm that I'm observing. One is millennials are having babies and the price of childcare is so high that oh. having to go into an office. Mm -hmm. is prohibitive exactly so that's number one number two life work-life balance is a top priority for my kids Mm -hmm. and the kids behind them coming up and so those two issues are are driving that mindset that you just described I'm a firm believer that in the next 20 years, the next big
1: companies, uh, whether it's, uh, I I think probably mostly in tech, the next Facebook, the next uh, Twitter, the next Tesla, the next whatever is going to come from a remote company. It's not going to come from Google or Oracle or any of these groups that are still having the sort of back to office stuff. It's going to come from these scrappy remote work-based organizations who have been
0: remote since day one. Right. Right. Yeah, you're probably right. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what advice would you offer clients? Because uh, let's just talk about video production for an example. Okay. Uh, how do you have that conversation? What do you tell them? Well, the first thing is what what are they trying to
1: achieve? You want to get laser focused on the result they're trying to get. A lot of the people who come to me, the the focus is directly on mostly lead generation. Oh, we we just need more leads. We need more this and that. Uh, we need more people calling. And for that, generally what, what that comes down to is you're trying to establish a, a, a credibility early, and you're also trying to have something that proselytizes your company, your service while you're asleep. You want to be able, and that's what video does. It allows people to learn about your company, learn about your story, learn about your message, learn about your results without you having to be there to pitch them. You know, that, is, mm. that has always been the value of video. Um, But nowadays, the level of credibility that is required by especially younger uh, audiences and, and, and younger groups uh, is they need to know a lot about you. They, they don't only want to know like what product and service you provide and what problem you solve. They also want to learn about why you're doing it. They also want to learn about how you're doing it. Funny, because there's so many times I've heard people talk about, well, we need to demonstrate a, a sort of social responsibility in our business, and we don't know how to do that. Video is a great way to do that. But for for most people, what they need is just they need something that highlights all of the problems they solve in a language that's unique to them so that their customers know how to identify them and know how to get to them.
0: So my guess is some people listening right now are thinking, man, I should call this guy, Jason Mayberry. (laughs) So how does somebody get a hold of you before well, we run out of time?
1: Well, the fastest way someone can get a hold of me is just email me Jason at uh, tmbcreative.com that's that's the fastest way that most people can get a hold of me. Uh, our Unfortunately our website is is going under uh, reconstruction right now, so uh, I wouldn't you can go to our to our website tmbcreative.com, but it's just going to show you a temporary page at the moment. but I would say email is probably the best way. The, the
0: big question I, I ask people because there's to me there's there's a job then there's a career then there's a calling mm. okay and and what I consider what I do is a calling okay? mm. and for 30 years it's just what I remember going to my very first sales training in Pittsburgh when I was in my early 30s and I I was there to learn how to sell and all I could think of was I want that guy's job mm. or the guy who was teaching a guy named Dan O'Hara mm-hmm. and then 10 years later he hired me I did have his job. Right. Oh. And well, I mean, you know, I in, in terms of the work I was doing. And yeah. so do you consider what you do a calling? I would consider it a career right now. I don't
1: know if I'm at the calling phase just yet because I haven't really identified exactly, you know, what the future holds for me. Uh, my company in the last decade or so has has gone through a lot of changes. All uh, right. We're basically split right down the middle now because uh, my business partner is an ex race car driver and we do a ton of work in motorsports. And we currently have, and I executive produce uh, a documentary series that, uh, that we produce through the, through that side of the company, through motor trend, it's called dinner with racers. And uh, so that's sort of one half of the company is the, is the documentary motorsports side. And then the other half is the corporate side, which is what I'm in charge of. And right now for the last, you know, five, 10 years, that has been the model. And, you know, that model may change. And if it does change, I would probably start pivoting more towards, you know, what a calling would be. I just don't know what that is at the moment.
0: Well, look how Zoom, COVID and Zoom has changed the way people communicate.
1: Oh, massively. I mean, five years ago,
0: nobody thought uh, Zoom, what's a Zoom, right? Yeah. And now it's become a regular part of what we do. And you know, I'm I'm like you. I travel a great deal, and mm-hmm. but I'm still doing Zoom webinars. Yeah, and it's you know it's great. I mean, and, and I really enjoy it. It's just another way to to serve. It's what did Marshall mm-hmm. McLuhan say? It's the medium, not the message. Oh, okay, right? Yeah.
1: I was just listening to a podcast recently where we were talking about at one point in 2020 Zoom was worth more than Exxon was. And I and now of course it's not that way, but the it acclimated a lot of people to remote stuff. And it actually did a lot for my business because a lot of people were like, We need video. We need video of our stuff because everything we've done has been either person to person or B2B or like on the phone or email campaigns, or whatever. And it's like people have started getting a lot more used to just logging on to something and watching something that increases in things like webinars and teleconferences and all that kind of stuff or or pre-recorded uh uh sales or what do they call vsls video sales letters those things have gone up dramatically because now it was like the entire country was just forced to start using that all at once and and those who adapted were able to adapt quickly and it didn't affect their their margins that much and those who couldn't adapt man they
0: they went through it during that time period yeah it's interesting uh flexibility right Mm, absolutely our willingness and ability to change
1: the it's it's that it's the flexibility is one part of it. I'm also noticing that I'm I'm meeting a lot more people in these companies, especially the remote companies, who are entirely self taught. They didn't go to school for the work that they're doing. They learned it remotely by things as you know, starting from as low as like just watching a bunch of YouTube videos to uh, lynda.com, which I believe now is LinkedIn learning. I learned all of my technical skills uh from online. I Cause I didn't go to school for a lot of the stuff that I do. I didn't, you know, I didn't go to school for film. Uh, so the fact that I, that the way I make my money now and the way I deliver product and results for people wasn't taught to me by a professor. It was taught to me by videos online. Right. And I've been able to turn that into, into a career and I'm needing more. And that was very rare. In my business for a while. And now m- the majority of the of my business and a lot of other businesses, especially if they're delivering some sort of uh, intellectual or uh, educational property, most of those people have been entirely self-taught. They didn't go to school for this.
0: A couple of weeks ago, my wife said, we're making burgers, get the barbecue ready. Mm. And uh, it wouldn't light. And I can't, I tried everything I could think of. And I was, you know, I was just beside myself and I came back and I said, honey, we're going to have to do this in this oven because she goes, she said, no, you know, let's go on YouTube and figure out, I said, look, I'm a <laughs> licensed journeyman in the state of Washington. I, I, I'm a technical guy. I can fix or install about anything. I did. I, I, there's something wrong. We're out. of. It's out of gas. You know, I. she goes, let's just go on YouTube. So we went on YouTube and she writes down a few things. She goes, here, try this. And I, you know, and then I, it lit and I'm cooking burgers. Mm. And let me tell you something that's so humbling. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh but
1: that's what we do now. It is. Well, I mean, we have this we have this glorious thing called the internet and both of us were lucky enough and I think this is actually very lucky to have lived before the internet. So that gives right. us a really great example because <laughs> some especially the younger people that I've worked with they have no reference of what the world was like before that, when there wasn't just a keystroke away from getting answers to questions. And now I see that the most sort of valuable players now or or uh, w- especially, you know, young up and coming, you know, workers and business owners and things like that is not about how much information they know. It's how quickly they can access it with the tools that they have.
0: Right. Well, and what you're really talking about is being an autodidact, you know, hmm. being self-taught uh, books, videos, seminars, workshops. Uh, you know, I read a couple of books a week. Uh, I I'm a self-taught learner. I mean, I have a year of junior college for God's Mm -hmm. sake. I mean, you know, I, I had a 3.0 blood alcohol level, but still, you know, (laughs) so in in closing, Mm -hmm. Jason, what are your final thoughts? You know
1: what to stick with that theme? I would say self-learning is a huge, huge deal. Uh, if you have never self-taught yourself anything, I mean, anything at all, the resources that are available now are unbelievable. Even if it's things that aren't, you know, like tactile, if you're just trying to learn, you know, if you want want to write poetry or, or learn how to design things or whatever, like things like Masterclass, LinkedIn Learning, even YouTube itself. The, if you use the the tools that we have now for self-advancement and self-improvement, and you know and you learn early enough how to do those things you're you're essentially unstoppable because yes. the, the, we have a wealth of information that's just out there we have it in our pockets you know we have our own movie studios in our pockets yeah it's it, it the question is becoming now who are the people who are utilizing that information to move forward and how many are using it just to be
0: stagnant right so don't be stagnant <laughs> don't be stagnant everything from how to rebound to how to Mm-hmm. change the oil in your car. and I would
1: say one other thing too when it comes to to video and business because I know there's a lot of folks who are business owners or who work in uh, who have companies who listen to this podcast is you the video is starting to become stock standard. It's just starting to become a piece of business that is absolutely expected nowadays, especially for people in the service industry. So if you are a company that's, you know lucky has been lucky enough, to sort of survive on the old media assets of, you know, advertising in the paper or just, you know, simple Facebook ads or things like that. And you haven't made that transition yet to start incorporating video, I would highly recommend that because I mean, literally just recently, I just bought a new company car this week. And the person who I bought it from made videos of the car that I was inquiring about and sent those videos to me the moment I inquired about it. They didn't try to pitch me. They didn't try to sell me. They literally just walked around the car and filmed it and and then talked to me about, hey, it's here. This is the features. This is what it looks like, blah, blah, And that one video alone gave me so much certainty about going to this dealership that I canceled my appointments at the other dealerships that were just sending me random texts and random emails. and, and, And I went with this guy instead. And he ended up getting my business because he utilized video to get me
0: in the door. So I shouldn't stay with the Yellow Pages ads?
1: Probably saying. not.
0: I mean, if it's working for you,
1: great. But if that's all you're doing and all you're relying on is recurring business or or uh, or referrals, uh, that can come to a very scary, costly, and violent end very quickly, especially <laughs> if you have a competitor who is utilizing it and you're not. Uh, one last time, how does somebody contact you? Uh, They can reach me via email, jason at tmbcreative.com.
0: That would be the best way to get a hold of me. Super. Thank you so much for spending some time with me this morning. Jason, you do so much for me personally. I just can't thank you enough. I've just enjoyed an extraordinary relationship. And I think one of the things I admire about you, there's a long list, but when I have a question, when I have a problem, you are all over it, like a pit bull on a pork chop and it's the quality of the service you provide in my mind which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast because more people need to know who you are and what you do thank you sir i appreciate it as a leader in advanced hvc technologies mitsubishi electric is committed to continuous innovation around efficiency comfort and wellness from electric cars to electric water heaters to electric heating and cooling the future is electric the demand for all of our electric heat pumps have never been greater So there's no better time to join our community of premier contractors and grow your business. Here are some of the reasons why partnering with Mitsubishi Electric is a great idea. Mitsubishi is the number one selling heat pump in America and has been the industry leader for over 35 years. Mitsubishi offers local technical support and has a network of excellent distributors. Mitsubishi's regional sales and marketing teams are available to meet with you and help you grow your business. To find out more, contact mitsubishicomfort.com. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454 or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day unless you have other plans.